Hello, my name is Dr. Gail Davison. I'm an ST at Paediatric Emergency Medicine Trainee at the Royal Belfast Hospital for Sick Children. I will be arguing for the motion that children who receive an RSI for status epilepticus in a district general hospital should be extubated. In the next few minutes I will justify why you should support the motion for extubation. Status epilepticus, defined as continuous seizures for five minutes or more, or repetitive seizures without regaining baseline consciousness, is one of the most common neurological emergencies that, as paediatric specialists, we face on an almost daily basis. Termination of seizure activity is paramount and central to its management because of the recognised complications, which include excitatory amino acid neurotoxicity-mediated death and this is more likely to occur after 30 minutes of onset. Treatment of reversible causes such as hypoglycemia and a standardised approach to using anti-epileptic drugs is the mainstay of treatment, as shown on the APLS algorithm. As clinicians, we move through the algorithm, giving the next dose of benzodiazepines, as in step two, or administering levotiracetam, as in step three, in response to ongoing seizure activity because each subsequent step is not without risk. Medications that we use to terminate seizures cause reduced consciousness, respiratory depression, hypotension and cardiac arrhythmias. The new protocol published in response to recent research prioritises medications earlier at five minute intervals for the first three steps and this is in contrast to the five, ten and ten minute intervals. This gives preference as well to levotiracetam which could be started at 15 minutes and infused over five. And this then supports a more timely uh, rapid sequence induction if seizure activity is ongoing. And this could be as soon as 30 minutes post seizure initiation. This is a su substantial change to our man management. Anesthetic support may be called sooner and there may be an increased incidence of RSIs for status. Most research on childhood status epilepticus has focused on comparing the effectiveness of anti-epileptic drugs rather than the management post-RSI. The algorithm does not have a fifth step and Northern Ireland does not have a regional protocol or standardised guidance. Management post-RSI nicely lends itself therefore to wider discussion and debate. To help you decide how to vote, let me explain further what I am proposing. I am for the motion that children should be extubated in a district general hospital after an RSI if meeting favourable respiratory, cardiovascular and neurological criteria. The criteria are as follows. There should be minimal respiratory support such as good saturations, minimal oxygen requirement, low pressures and the child should be breathing spontaneously with a normal blood gas. There should be cardiovascular stability no need for vasoactive drugs or recurrent fluid boluses and there should also be favourable neurological status, no seizure activity or focal neurology or raised intracranial pressure. Um, there should be responsiveness to voice, airway reflexes and normal pupillary responses. I propose that children meeting these criterion should be allowed to regain consciousness and extubated in a district general hospital. This option, I suggest, is preferable to the alternative, which is to administer further unnecessary anaesthetic medications to facilitate a prolonged period of ventilation and critical care transfer to the regional paediatric intensive care unit.
There are a number of reasons for choosing this option. This option um, complements the stepwise approach to management of status epilepticus. It allows for timely assessment of neurology. It reduces risks associated with critical care. It is more cost effective and there are some research studies to support this. The, the impetus of treatment, as instructed by the APLS protocol, is to terminate seizures. Once seizures have been halted, then further sedatives or anti-epileptic drugs are not warranted and treatment can be de-escalated. Administering further sedatives, such as morphine and midazolam infusions, may be thought of as a fifth step, but it's not necessary. Seizure activity is under control and further sedatives are more likely to cause unwanted side effects, such as behavioural changes, confusion, lethargy, headaches, nausea and vomiting. As well, holding off on further sedatives and allowing the child to wake means that we can assess their neurological status in a timely fashion. Parents are also happier to see their child interacting. Although most parents appreciate the care provided by paediatric intensive care units, all would acknowledge that it's a stressful environment that they could do without. Um, I suggest you should choose for the option also because it reduces the risks associated with critical care. In the District General Hospital, they have done the hard part already. They have intubated and stabilised the child and according to the criterion set out, the seizure activity has stopped. The skills needed to support extubation are at hand and paediatric intensive care consultants are readily contactable 24-7 to advise. Facilitating an earlier extubation at the DGH reduces time on the ventilator and the need for critical care transfer and PICU admission. Longer periods of ventilation can cause ventilator-associated pneumonia, barotrauma and pneumothoraces and therefore are more likely. Additional means of access may also be needed, such as arterial and central lines if there's a prolonged period of intubation, and this can be a source of infection. Anaesthetic teams in district general hospitals might be apprehensive about extubation after an RSI. However, um, there are only a small number of children who require further intubations after extubation. Cost isn't a primary concern, really, although it would be impractical not to um, acknowledge the costs associated. Paediatric intensive care beds cost approximately £2,000 per day, and across the UK there has been a 14% rise in PICU admissions, with up to a 22% rise in those requiring invasive ventilation. Staffing in our paediatric intensive care units is an ongoing issue, and a child who is extubated at admission, can remain in a paediatric intensive care unit for days, especially if ward beds aren't available or ambulance transfers are not readily available. With the likely increase in children requiring an RSI um, following the new algorithm, PICU services will be under further pressure to admit children. Transfer teams commonly need to administer boluses to keep children sedated and on arrival sedatives are commonly discontinued to allow children to wake. Extensive intensive care support is usually not required therefore and seems, it seems like our critical care services which are limited um, could be used more favourably.
So what about the data? Ideally, we would want our practice to be evidence-based. In reality, the evidence is severely limited. I completed a Medline literature search using keywords um, status epilepticus, intubation, rapid sequence induction, and limited this to children um, with English language articles. No randomised controls, control trials existed to examine um, management post-RSI. There was, however, one letter to the editor which supported um, extubation in a district general hospital following changes in their own practice. There was one observational study in West Yorkshire and there was one protocol. In the observational study, 93 patients were included over a three-year period. Um, within those patients then, 22% were extubated and of that, 73% were extubated successfully. Um, there were no unforeseen um, or poor outcomes. We also know that um, most status is due to febrile convulsions and known epilepsy. Most children presenting to our paediatric intensive care unit are extubated um, on the first day, sometimes within hours of admission. And picking that data may soon be available to support further extubation in a district general hospital. Ultimately, further research is needed in this area. So thank you for listening um, and I hope you'll choose to support the motion for extubation in a district general hospital. Hi there, my name is Ben Rafferty, I'm one of the ST6 PICU good trainees and I'm here today to vote against the motion or try and get you to vote against the motion of why we shouldn't extubate children with status epilepticus in district general hospitals. So a wise man once said, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change, but sometimes we don't want to change. And well, personally, um, from the, uh, the view of having um, extubation um, with regards to status epilepticus, you know, I feel personally that it's something that I have limited experience of, especially when you're a district general hospital. It's difficult to assess the readiness for extubation in these children. Um, they're given an RSI, they're very sedated, and anaesthetics even themselves will feel uncomfortable with this, and paediatrics having limited experience in district generals would also feel uncomfortable making this decision. Um, there's no shared medical or nursing pathways for these children and that's something um, that really needs to be addressed. Um, there's no consultation with um, staff regarding the feasibility and the evidence is somewhat limited. It's really hard to come by. Um, and the other problem is it's a team decision and when you're in the district general hospital dealing with an intensive care situation you don't want to be the one that makes the wrong call and then some or suddenly that teamwork falls apart and you feel blamed it's a very difficult situation to be in so as a result um, I sent out a survey monkey not uh, actual monkey but um, an online questionnaire um, to many whatsapp groups across Northern Ireland focusing on pediatric and anesthetic trainees and also consultant whatsapp groups as well so many thanks for all the replies. There was 38 replies. It was a nice mix of pediatrics and anaesthetics. Um, having an inroad with my brother being an anaesthetic reg really helped. Um, there was 45% of the respondents were consultants and about 80% of the respondents were greater than ST6, so quite senior trainees. So there were seven questions that I'd asked, and I'll go through those in detail. Again, because there's very limited evidence, I decided to go um, locally and ask people on the ground what they thought about what was happening. 
So as mentioned before, the demographics, roughly about 50% pediatrics, 50% um, anesthetics. There was some acute um, uh, critical care trainees in there too. And again, greater than 80% were, um, or greater than 70% or 80% were greater than ST6. So in terms of confidence, so I'd ask on a scale from one to 10, how confident would you be making the decision to extubate a child in a Mystalix um, Epilepticus in a district general hospital? And the score out of 10 was 3.7. So across the board, really low confidence with regards to assessing children um, for extubation. So what were the issues? The main issue um, was that there was no clear guidance to manage these patients. There's no designated nursing support for this population of patients. Who's going to look after these children post-extubation? Is it going to be any nurses? Will it be the paediatric ward nurses within a HDU setting? Is that able to be facilitated? Or will it be theatre staff, theatre nurses looking after these children? Um, again, something that hasn't really been discussed and it really needs addressed before we can pursue this any further. The next uh, most common issue was there's very little experience of management post-extubation in this circumstance. And then there was anaesthetic concerns about blocking theatres and tying up medical staff to look after children post-sedation and anaesthesia administration for possibly hours at a time. And many pointed that in district generals this simply isn't feasible. Um, so all these concerns, they really point to logistic and patient safety issues. So what we, I then asked what would be needed to improve rates. So over 75% of um, respondents uh, said regional teaching and regional guidance would be essential um, to improve extubation rates. 20% mentioned that it would really have to be the transport team leading the, the key decisions about whether to extubate these children or not. And there was um, quite a marked number of uh, people who also said that they had a fear of being abandoned by the tertiary centre. Um, with regard to the management of these children. Um, so then I asked, should children have a trial of extubation in DGHs? And surprisingly, um, about a third fell into each category of agree, disagree, and we're sort of sitting on the fence with neither agree or disagree. Um, however, whenever I was looking into the data, those who um, were sort of sitting on the fence, um, there was 80% of those who were unaware of any local benefits of extubation. And so they probably would side more on the, um, the disagree side. So it's probably really a 60-40 split for disagree. So um, I was Googling some teamwork um, quotes and this is one that I found was particularly good. So if you take the team out of teamwork, it's just work and who wants that? And I think that's the problem when it comes to um, extubation and DGHs, it's a human factors and systemic structure issues that is a problem. So human factors is defined as enhancing clinical performance through an understanding of the effects of teamwork, tasks, equipment, workspace, culture and organisation of human behaviour and abilities and application of that knowledge in clinical settings. So in short, we all have um, a sufficient clinical knowledge but it's those structures that really aren't in place, especially in district generals to look after these children. There is no guidelines, there's no standardization of care. Um, and with a, a protocol or a guideline, um, you can then align systems um, for, to make the children as safe as possible in this scenario and have the necessary resources in place to accommodate this. Education and training is also essential. And this would have to be led by um, the PICU team and transport team possibly in, in local settings and simulation would be particularly beneficial. 
Also the psychological safety. Um, it's really important to get the opinion of district generals about what problems that they will have in their department and this needs to be fed back into the guidelines. I think this is really important if you want to get people on board with changing um, the standard of practice. So the evidence, so um, again very limited but this is achievable across other parts of the UK and it's being demonstrated in the paediatric critical care societies, acute transport group um, they did a presentation there a couple of weeks ago um, and it pointed out that um, in some trusts in England up to 70% of children presenting with status epilepticus were successfully excavated in district general hospitals. However, when looking into which, which trusts succeeded most, um, it was those with really robust guidelines, the WATCH guidelines and the NEWTS guidelines. The lowest rates were within Scotland and Northern Ireland, which are 2 to 3%. I understand that this may be multifactorial, but I, I'm not aware of any local guidelines in Northern Ireland that describe um, how to safely extubate a child in a district general hospital, and that may be impacting the rates. Also, um, it could be staffing issues and other unique geographical issues as well, and this would have to be explored more. I think there's a lot of services that DGHs um, do to absolutely the same standard of PICUs, but I think it's unfair and um, irresponsible to ask them to do something that will make staff unnecessarily anxious with no guidelines to follow. So should you change? Um, that's covered in another talk, but possibly in the future, but not now. Um, the final decision will lie with local teams and local systems. So, in conclusion, um, without robust evidence, we shouldn't and we aren't extubating um, children regularly in district general hospitals in Northern Ireland and across many or most trusts of the UK. There needs to be more support and a protocolised approach for this high risk situation. And this is an intensive care scenario and people can very much feel out of their depth in district general hospitals and feel very isolated. At the end of the day, they've escalated through the APLS guidelines, it's reached the final stage and the, the guidelines then falls away after that. So you're going into really what is uncharted territory. Um, and I think most importantly is to support staff to make the right decision. And I think if there's a national guideline, this would really help. But until then, I think it's unsafe. Thank you very much. Right, Gail, thanks very much for your presentation. Very interesting. So I suppose we'll just ping pong questions to each other. Does that sound all right? Yeah. Um, so from today, would you be happy enough to extubate people in your NE department? Oh, yes, I would indeed. <laughs> um, but I work in a tertiary department and that's not the question that we're asking here. We're asking, should children be extubated in a district general hospital? Mm -hmm. But um, certainly I would be happy to extubate children in the regional A&E department because I know it would be better for them to remove that tube when they're waking up um, and it's better for them to go, go to the ward rather than having critical care needs. Um, I was very interested um, to hear your talk, Ben. Um, there's a few things I picked up you wouldn't mind covering. Yeah, cool. Um, so a lot of your talk seemed to focus on human factors. Mm -hmm. I, I know we've both acknowledged that the research out there is limited, um, but there are some studies and there are some um, departments who have good protocols, um, good guidance in place, and they have... Um, resources in their district general hospitals such as 
um, high dependency care to make this feasible? I know you've said from the survey that, it, that it's not feasible, um, but then you're also claiming that uh, things needed to be put in place for it to be feasible. So um, what I'm sort of supporting is if we had protocols in place that were set up by our regional um, intensive care services um, that were advocated and um, that were endorsed by um, our regional specialists and district general hospitals, then this, this could go forward. It yeah. is possible. I think we can definitely come to agreement on that. But the problem is we all know how long it takes for protocols to be established for that to become the standard of practice and to get these different things rolling, to have the nurses that are available to look after these children, to have the teams appropriately trained. But this could take years. And at the minute within, well, district generals within, I can only speak for Northern Ireland, that's one of the experience I have. I don't think they're particularly happy. And the feedback that I've got, they are very unhappy if this were to be forced upon them. Um, yes, you're right, there, there are some uh, trusts across England that have very good guidelines. And I suppose we all want the same. Whatever's in the best interest of child health will absolutely support 100%. But I think to prematurely do it, could could lead to harm because it's a medical emergency and as you say you're at the final step and step beyond that is to step out of your comfort zone and that's the feedback that i've got locally is uh, we're very much afraid confidence levels of 3.7 out of 10 they're they're very very low um so i would just be afraid of deteriorating relationships with district generals by nearly enforcing that upon them. Yeah. Um, it does need to be supported. Um, and I think, especially with Nor in Northern Ireland with you know, staffing issues and stuff as well, there isn't always that support that maybe will be available to district generals yeah. well, to make that decision. Well, no one wants to, to force any management upon um, any colleagues that is unwanted. Um, so I'm not, I'm not supporting uh, forcing someone to extubate a child, but in a scenario where, um, for instance, a child was at a district general hospital and a phone call was made to our regional services um, and PIC consultants um, and the child was waking up and met all the criterion that I had stipulated, then a conversation could take place between um, a consultant anaesthetist and a consultant paediatrician at a district general hospital and our PIC consultant here and it would be possible, I'm saying, to for a child to be extubated safely because they have advice. It's interesting you're, you're talking about change um, and the inability for us to change, but I suppose change is is essential for healthcare. Um, and yes, I, I know change needs to be evidence-based. Um, the other thing you brought up um, was um, competence, well, confidence, really. Um, and I've published studies, um, and I know of studies, that show that there's no correlation between confidence and competence. They're two completely different things. So I acknowledge that people in a district general hospital may be apprehensive, but it's about putting those support networks in place. Nothing should be forced, yes. And if someone um, in a district general hospital is adamant that you know, they will not be extubating, well then, fine. But we need to to support and we need to show what evidence is out there and we need to make some steps to move forward um, to earlier extubations because it's better for children because it means that they're not being ventilated 
um, for an unnecessary amount of time. Yeah, well, I suppose it's an assumption we're making because you said there, there's very little evidence out there. There is definitely pros and cons for it. And I think we're sort of coming to the same argument that it can be done if there's protocols in place. And I think from from my perspective, the, the big um, the big problem with the excavation at the minute is the lack of protocols and the lack of training. Mm -hmm. And it, we, that's where they do not think it's feasible at yeah. present. Again, if evidence comes out that it is um, appropriate, I think everyone will adapt to that. But at the minute, it's it's hard to come by and also the structures are just simply not in place. Yeah. It's okay saying they may be in place, but until they are, yeah. you're, it's a risky situation to be in. Let me ask you this, Ben. If you, um, you're in your grid training for intensive care say you completed your training um, and you're waiting for a consultant job and you decided to do a locum in Ochnagelvin as a registrar and you intubated a child with an anaesthetist by your by your side um, for status epilepticus um, you've done a rapid sequence induction and then half an hour later they start to wake up um, you were told that the the main treatment here or the main management here is to transfer the child but your child's waking up would you feel okay to put them on infusions of morphine and midazolam and bolus and bolus them to keep them awake in order for a um, two-hour journey to yeah, the so ICU in the regional centre? Again you would have to, to chat out with a responsible consultant if you were doing a locum but however if I was in that situation as a paediatric intensivist I would be one of the specialists that would be able to recommend what could be done and reassure the consultant is like it's okay um, these are certain criteria which I'm happy with having worked in PICU and if they agreed with me absolutely I would not force the consultant's hand um, so it, it would be very much their decision. So you're saying it's a case-by-case case basis then? Absolutely, If the yes. skills were present in a district Absolutely. general hospital then someone, a child could be extubated? It, it's always possible but I said there's human factors, you know, we live in an imperfect system and people do need to be comfortable because at the end of the day it's a medical emergency, they've got to the APNS algorithm and after that it stops. They want the children to be safe and I think district generals have done their job whenever they've got the child in a stable condition. That's totally up to them whether they think um, it's feasible or not. Yeah. Um, well, I think you're talking about the human factors again and um, a lack of confidence at doing something new. Um, but um, we all know, um, because we've been through medical training ourselves, that there is a certain amount of anxiety when you take up a new job or you're doing a new skill um, or you're doing something differently um, and as long as you know there's support in place um, and guidance in place from experts then you know we, we can all as clinicians progress and we can all um, do things differently if, if that's best for the, for the child and we know it is best for the child. I think it's something that we agree on. Protocols in place, absolutely. No protocol in place and no support, dangerous. Um, so the other thing I picked up on, you said that the results from the survey, and well done for doing a survey, um, it, it's not, I suppose, high level survey evidence <laughs> survey, but, you know, um, well done. You said that the results were 30-30-30, so everyone was on the fence. How did you move from 30-30-30 to 60-40? Well, whenever I broke down the, the people who were on the fence, 
80% didn't realize of any benefits of local excavation. So they would obviously side with the disagree side more. If there was no benefits, why would you do something? So that's your interpretation of their text? I think it's a reasonable interpretation. Yeah. If, you're not, if you don't uh, see a benefit, mm, you wouldn't do it. As a qualitative researcher, I would have to um, pick holes in your interpretation yeah. of a simple text know. box. We'll let the audience decide. I think possibly um, you know, focus group and opening this up to wider discussion rather than moving your numbers from one mm. box to the other. I stand by, sir, if I'm okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.